Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This episode of the Racket Magazine podcast is brought to you by Sergio Tacchini. Offering iconic tracksuits, classic polos, and the new Young Line sneaker. Originally designed in the mid-1980s, it's our favorite spring silhouette, and it's back. You can get it now at SergioTacchini.com, and follow them on Instagram at SergioTacchini underscore official for updates. Enter the promo code RACKETMAG at checkout, and you'll get 30% off your order. So it was a joke one day to him. I said, can you imagine a white body suit with women? Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> Renee, here we are in New York. We are not in London. I know. It's really, really sad. It's so sad that yesterday I actually got on the computer and I ordered myself a 2020 Wimbledon town because clearly you've seen my house and my apartment and uh, I have every town from 1989 from the first time that I ever played at Wimbledon. So this is the first time in, what is that, 31, 32 years that I will not be in London and it's so sad. Obviously I have an amazing amount of memories from there and uh, but 2020 is definitely not a good year. For tennis. 2020 is really kicking our asses. However, it's given us a chance to look back, think big, make some changes. Hopefully there's some really intense conversations happening at some of the organizational levels, some of the, you know, governing body levels about what we want this sport to look like when it comes back. And that's not just in terms of safety, which is obviously the case, but, you know, making a more equitable sport, making a sport that is a little bit less elitist, that's a little bit more welcoming. You know, I think from what I've heard, there those are conversations that are happening. Obviously, we talked to Katrina Adams about some of this stuff. Um, you know, and one thing we are going to do this week is look back a little bit because we have a phenomenal guest who made Wimbledon history. Uh, and before we get to her, I want to hear a little bit about some of your favorite stories at Wimbledon. It seems like of all the Grand Slams, certainly, despite the fact that you're an Australian, the Wimbledon experience was one that is extremely close to your heart. Tell, tell us some of your favorite stuff. Yeah, I mean, listen, growing up in Australia, we, we obviously, to watch Wimbledon, we would have to get up at like one, two, three, four o'clock in the morning. I mean, that was just how it was because of the time difference. So every single night I would get up and watch either one match or some of a match. I'll never forget my mom just like tapping me on the shoulder and be like, 
Bryn, you know, Borg's on. You know, when I was a really young kid, I, I was obsessed with Beyond Borg and Yvonne Gulligan Coley. Those were my two like favorites. And then of course, Chrissy and Martina. Like even if you're not a tennis player, everyone would watch Wimbledon. Yeah. Um, I used to watch it with my grandparents and the, the NBC theme music that was so cheesy. Yeah. was such an indelible part of my mornings. Yeah. And then the championship weekend, watching Boris Becker win in 85, I yeah. think it was, was one of the seminal, I think it was the first tennis match I remember yeah. on TV at Wimbledon, just thinking, wow, this is so amazing. I'm watching history. You know, when I, when I obviously had an opportunity to go and play there, it was like, it was, out, it was a, you know, it was amazing, you know, but very different to what I ended up, you know, being experiencing there, obviously, but I had to go to qualifying the first year I went in 89 and I had to take a train like 30 minutes to Wimbledon. And then I had to get a transportation from Wimbledon to Roehampton. I mean, I, it, there was no luxury in, in having to qualify for Wimbledon for me. This was just like, and I, I wasn't complaining about any of it. Like, and I remember my last round of qualifying. I remember my first match. I played Barbara Rittner from uh, Germany. The German Fed Cup. German Fed Cup. very coach. involved in tennis. Yeah. I think it was the first time I ever dove on a court. Was cool. in that was in that match. And she still talks about it. She's like, remember that? I was like, yeah, I, could, I couldn't even believe I did that. And then the last match was against Jennifer Santrock from the United States and she was a lefty and it rained in the middle of the match. I won the first set. She double folded as it was raining on the first set point and, you know, had to come back. And I just kept thinking, oh my God, I'm one set away from qualifying for Wimbledon. It was just insane for me to even think about. And then I went back out and we won the, I won the match and I had a forehand volley to win the match. It was the most nervous open court forehand volley I've ever hit in my life. And I remember <laughs> when I hit it in, I just thought, oh my God, like, this is the greatest moment of, of my life. And obviously then to go and play there and get your badge and walk through those gates as a competitor is just amazing. And then obviously, you know, winning the doubles there twice in 01 and 04 uh, with Lisa Raymond and with Cara Black. I mean, they're just dreams that you just can't imagine. I mean, and let's not forget that you won the Legends with Kim Feisters in 2018. <laughs> demonstrating i've actually won the legends twice oh sorry Excuse the one me. i saw yeah okay, okay. that's kim clusters you and she partnered up and you hit a diving volley i did unbelievable volley i think the commentator jumped out of his chair it's one of the best examples of a diving volley that you hit two years ago in that I've yeah, ever seen. i almost broke my hand uh because <laughs> i landed on the racket Oh, I've done, I have had more dives at Wimbledon. I had one around the net post playing against Barbara Shett and Barbara started laughing her ass off because she's like, this is legends. What are you doing? <laughs> you know? break but neck. I just can't help it. I mean, when I, I would dive on hard court. So for me on grass, it just comes naturally. Uh, actually, actually, one of my best dives at Wimbledon was against Kim playing mixed against her back when we were both playing full time. Um, so I don't know. I was playing with Marcello Mello and he basically looked at me and turned around and like started bowing. He was like, that was amazing. <laughs> but, you know, I know that like Sam Stowe's is always like, God, I wish I could die once. And I'm like, listen, no, you yeah. either can do it or you can't. Yeah. So it's not something you can practice. I no. imagine. And if you try and do it when you don't know how to do it, you can really hurt yourself. So. Well, there's something really special about, obviously my experience there has been both as a spectator and as a journalist, but I would encourage anybody who might be on the fence about going, or maybe is thinking about making it, you know, making the trip. Wimbledon on TV and Wimbledon in lore is really fancy and it's elite. And we talk a lot about the tea and the breakfast at Wimbledon and the cream and the strawberries and, and all the traditions. And that's all and true. The and, and the Pims cups. But in, Person, the experience is actually remarkably democratic. It's a remarkably open institution. 
the first time I ever went was a spectator. I queued up. I paid 20 pounds for my ticket. I spent one of the most wonderful days of my life just roaming from court to court. And it's beautiful and it's manicured, but it's not a place that feels exclusionary stuffy. or stuffy. It's really open and fun. Well, you know, some of us, though, Caitlin, have <laughs> managed to squeeze our way into the Royal Box a couple of times. Well, we're getting there. So... And- Tell me about the Royal Box experience, because for people who don't know, there's a special seating area in Center Court. You can be a guest of the royal family sitting in the Royal Box. And to get this is a huge honor. There's souvenirs involved. There's a waiting room. Tell us what it involves and how you even get invited. Well, you have to be invited by the chairman of the All England Club. And um, I have been uh, asked since I've gone back to do the Legends, um, as they call it, the Ladies Invitational. Um, they really nicely ask a lot of the competitors that are there playing in the ladies' invitational where they're doing television and various things. And they often ask us to go to women's semifinals day or women's quarterfinals day. So they, they, they invite um, not all but most of the competitors of the ladies' invitational. And a lot of us are working. We can't fit it into our schedule. But I managed to fit it into my schedule every time they ask. Sure. Uh, actually, the first time they ever asked me, I had to say no. <laughs> and I said to Phil, I said to um, Phil Brook, who, who's one that asked me, I went to him immediately the next time. I said, please, please, please invite me back, please, you know, because I <laughs> need to say no to that list. But it's just, I mean, it is so typically English. And so, I mean, don't take this wrong, super pompous, mm-hmm. but it is exactly the way it should be. Yeah. I mean, they, they have, you know, lunch at a certain time, then you watch the match, then you don't have tea afterwards, you have your little scones and your little, you know, finger sandwiches and tea and, and it's they, just it's just amazing. They give you a little souvenir bag they do. full of goodies, which you have gifted to me, at least one of the ones you got. So thank you for that. I still use it. Yeah. Um it's just it's just an honor. But there's honestly. also royals in the box yeah, at oh, times. Yeah. Not all the time, but you know, Kate Middleton will show up, obviously Prince William comes. When I went to the I mean David Beckham. Come on, David Beckham, he's basically a royal Maggie, uh Maggie the actress. Maggie Smith. Dame Maggie, Maggie Smith. Smith. Yes, Dame Maggie when Smith. When I was there last year. Phoebe Waller-Bridge was in yeah, the Yeah, no, box. she was there the day before me. I, I took, so like, 400, like, extremely far away, like, telephoto lens photos that made her look like just basically a blob, but she was, I mean, yeah. I was just happy you to be You put a circle present. around her? I was like, it's Phoebe Waller-Bridge, trust me, she's in there, you can't tell Yeah, I think she went me. the day before I did, so I was super bummed. She was watching the Vika um, Halep match, oh, there you go. which I thought was going to be more of a barn burner, but didn't turn out. But, you know, Phoebe was there, so it was so cool. That, that, you were fine. Tell me, before we get to introducing our guest, who's spectacular and a super interesting woman in a couple of very, very different ways, the last thing I want to ask you about is the skirt. Tell me about the skirt. Oh, the skirt. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> so I was playing the Ladies' Invitational with Kim Feisters, and um, we were playing against uh, Conchita Martinez and Andrea Yeager, and we were up uh, pretty comfortably in the match. And um, Kim started talking to the crowd. Um, we try and interact a little bit. We try and have some fun with the ladies, ladies invitational. Some of the ladies don't have as much fun. Seems as, like it varies. Yeah, some are some, taking it real Some it's a little bit too seriously. I'm not going to mention any names, but they <laughs> well, know also, who they are. The Kim Clijsters being in the ladies invitational well, it's embarrassing. is embarrassing. I mean, yeah. she's a current player, basically, and yeah. she's playing against Andrea Yeager. Well, she's got three kids. Okay, let's sure, sure, okay. sure. Okay. Setting that aside. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so Kim and I are playing and she turns around to the crowd at one stage um, and says, where do you want me to serve it? And they said, oh, you know, they're yelling all things. So she goes, okay, so someone said down the tee. So she literally legit hits like a one pen serve down the tee. Ace. And then she turns around again to the crowd 
uh, and she says, what do you want this one? And they said, you know, whatever. And sure enough, bang, 105, wherever, out wide ace. And I'm like having a blast with this. And she runs over to the people that suggested this, who've got a pins, sure. right? But she runs over to high five them. I run over also to high five her and them. But instead of high fiving them, I actually took their pins, <laughs> took a swig of it, gave it back. I mean, we're trying to have fun, right? Then she says again, where do you want it, right? Sure enough, out wide, bang, out wide. She's three legit aces. And I mean, really good. Yeah, on, on demand. On demand. And then she gets up to the line and some guy yells out, to the body. Oof, body serve. Yeah, but I'm like, you can't ace someone to the body. No, it's actually doesn't work because it will touch their body, but also it's That's, kind of a dick thing to do. Well, but the point is that we're like, we're trying to hit an ace. So yeah. she stops and looks up, she goes, to the body? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and then so Conchita then goes, oh, why don't you take it to the body or something? And then Kim and I go, yeah, why don't you get out of the... We <laughs> have peace. Just keep in mind, we have no idea who yelled out to the body. The person we have works. no idea. Yeah. So Conchi goes, why don't you? So he stands up and this guy is a big dude. Yeah. Okay. I've seen the video. So he stands up, comes down on the court, which keep in mind, this is Wimbledon. Like, it's not something that happens. I mean, it, at any other Grand Slam, <laughs> you could see this happening because sure. every other Grand Slam is not. Because they're very protective of the grass. They're very protective of safety. Yeah. Always. A, a, a plebeian does not get to walk on the All grass. things that we didn't take into consideration. Sure. But also it is very easy to get on the courts at one point. You can just step over the little fence. So he comes onto the court. He's got like blue pants on and a green shirt. And so, of course, Kim is now laughing. And then she looks at him and she goes, wait, I love that he's wearing no white. And then all of a sudden her little head ticks over and she goes, wait. So she runs over and grabs an extra skirt out of her bag. Out of her own bag. Out of her own bag, runs over, gives it to him, and puts it over his legs like she's putting it on her three-year-old. That's what she said. <laughs> and she's dying laughing. She falls over. Anyway, God love him. He pulls them up. Yeah. And they go on. He's so in. now I'm like, oh, this is not satisfactory because now you've got a yellow, you've got a green shirt on. Sure. So I run and get my, I have, a, I have a white top that's a long sleeve and it's spandex. So I know it's going to expand so he goes he looks at me he goes no way and i go put it on yeah so he puts it on come on it's the roll you it's now legit he's in a white skirt and my white top and the commentator which is the best part of this on youtube he goes that's a man at wimbledon in a skirt receiving serve from kim Pisces. i mean it's just hilarious right so god love him he plays the ball back and we have super fun we take photos <laughs> i mean it goes viral it was on the jimmy kimmel show it was on the view it was on Lots of shows. And the queen herself did not come down and say, no. how dare you how invite d- someone onto the center court? No, but I will say that the the, the, the the club wasn't super happy the next day. I believe that. But I will tell you that they did just post it on their Wimbledon website, so maybe they've forgiven us after all they did. I blamed it all on Kim because I thought they'll keep, they'll keep inviting Kim back forever. Yeah. But the great story um, in the end was that he kept, <laughs> Kim said, keep the skirt. Sure. Um, and we found out uh, uh, his name was Chris, I believe, and he kept the skirt. And when he went home, he decided he wanted to sell it uh, as an auction item, and all the money would go to helping provide monetary help for fam- okay. families with children with cancer, so That's they could so fly. Um, he was from Northern, I think he's from Ireland, maybe, and he used the f- to to fly them to London. Um, and then Fila, who were Kim's sponsor said, whatever you get, we'll match. That's amazing. And then they flew him when Kim got inducted into the Hall of Fame that That's year. So they cool. flew him to Newport Beach and they did a bit of an interview and 
uh, Kim signed it. I said, can you sign it for him? Yep, no problem. So we all kind of worked together to get it done. And they raised, I think, I, I can't remember exactly, but I want to say maybe twelve, thirteen thousand dollars in total. And he kept the foundation going and he's been doing and he's and and he got really in shape. He started like losing <laughs> weight and yeah, so it was an amazing story in the end. Some people were like, Oh, you guys did that. Well, on next purpose. time you could like fit into your skirt or something. Well, probably not. <laughs> but um but it ended up being a really That's great so story. Cool. I didn't know the end of the story. Yeah, we raised a lot of money and uh yeah, it was fantastic. And he had a blast and he was such a good sport. Um, so, yeah, there's some great things that can happen sometimes. If anybody hasn't seen it, they they absolutely have to search for it on YouTube. It is hilarious. Um, and let's introduce this week's guest. We taped this episode a while ago because we were lucky enough. Speaking to see, of all white. Speaking of all white, uh, and her name is Anne White, we have the inimitable Anne White, whose story, personal narrative is just amazing. West Virginia to Wimbledon. I mean, that kind of sums it up, right? West Virginia mm-hmm. phenom goes to study with Nick Volatieri, one of the first makes a film about it. This film is nominated for Emmys. It is widely considered to be one of the greatest tennis films ever made called Love Means Zero about the the Nick, 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 who refers to himself constantly in the third person. Uh, We talk a lot about that, how that film came to be. Her journey, obviously, from West Virginia to Wimbledon and then on to the Beverly Hills Tennis Club, where she's director of tennis. But most notably, and tying back to what we were just discussing about the dress code at Wimbledon, Anne White wore famously the onesie, the original bodysuit, mm-hmm. all white, head to toe, long sleeve, pony shoes, headband. She looked amazing in it. Yeah. It is one of the most indelible images iconic. of tennis full stop. Uh, the story behind it was so fascinating and so great. And I did not know any of the backstory of how it happened and how it turned out. But, you know, Anne was a great player. And then for this also to happen and also to hear her thoughts about it was really interesting to me um, overall. I love Anne's approach to tennis so much because I think turning her life into being an advocate for tennis and pulling juniors in and getting more people engaged, uh, you know, is, is something that obviously we are really interested in a racket. So it was really cool to hear her story, hear what she's doing now, but also, of course, as you said, hear this like amazingly insane story that mm-hmm. I never connected with the image because there's always a story behind the image. And a lot of people talked about that bodysuit controversy with Serena a couple of years ago. Well, guess what? There was this one before that. Turns out women in bodysuits on professional tennis courts Huge problem, but also an amazing opportunity for comedy and all the the rest of it. I cannot wait for someone to bring it back. Until then. All right. Enjoy this interview with Anne White. You are a storyteller. You're a... WTA singles and doubles veteran. You're somebody who now runs a club, but your personal story is not something I think a lot of people know. So let's start there. Where are you? You're West Virginia. You get a racket in your hand. Where does that story start? Um, that story starts with the Charleston Tennis Club, and um, I, my mom was playing in a weekly doubles game, and I was in horseback riding lessons in swimming and ballet, which I did not like, and I was um, I don't blame you. <laughs> sort of in trouble because I charged a lot of candy at the club, and um, <laughs> my mom made me come to her tennis games, and I had to sit and watch her play, 
and my two friends were on in a little clinic on the courts below, and they were neener neener neener. You can play tennis, ha 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 ha. Wow. So that went on a couple so it was weeks. So bullying back then too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good. Good to know. And um, I just begged my mom to put me in the class because they kept harassing me, and I hated it. And um, finally, she just was tired of me um, bothering her, and she and she put me in the class, and then. Um, Two days later, the head pro came up and said, um, your daughter can actually hit the ball over the fence. I'm moving her up with the nine-year-old. So it was just... How old were you? I was five and a half. Oh, shit. Wait a second. So were you... You are... If for people who don't know you or have only seen pictures of you, you are very tall. Yeah, I wasn't... You know, I wasn't that tall. Were you tall then? No. She no, was but, five, Caitlin. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> what the hell? I don't know. Maybe you should... I don't no, know I wasn't... My dad, my dad was a... Um, uh, basketball player. He was captain okay. of the WU um, basketball team. Oh, wow. Right before Jerry West came on, he helped recruit Jerry. And so he always had a ball in my hand when I was little, and I'm the oldest child. And so he was always tossing balls with me. And so I had I just established really good hand-eye coordination yeah. from a very young age. And and so you took to it immediately. The hand-eye, you could make contact. Yeah, and then it was like, let's go hit, a, hit on the wall. And okay, I'll hit on the wall. The OCD kicked in at a very early age. And then you have to be near the snack bar and get the candy. Wow, and that then, was so exciting. Candy was an early Yeah, thing. that was an early thing. <laughs> We've just basically told every parent, just, just if they want their kid to be a tennis player, just carry around Swedish fish. Yeah. <laughs> just like throw it at them like dogs. Yeah, and, yeah. and Mountain Dew, you know. Yeah, Dew. <laughs> yeah I, I have to say mine was uh, Fanta. Back then, wow. see, yeah, see? Fanta. Yeah, I used to share a Dr Pepper with my dad whenever we would finish a set, and it was the thing I looked forward to. I like the Dr Pepper too. Yeah, that, but but so you had a natural affinity. It got serious. Was tennis? I mean, obviously there was a club, there was some infrastructure, but was there much of a junior scene when it kind of um, seemed like you there was were a little bit of a good? program? And um, my mom, mother is uh, was a school teacher and very organized and. She saw that I was getting good, and there were local tournaments, and the next thing I knew, I was going to Ohio and Michigan and playing in these regionals, and then next thing I knew, I was uh, nine years old playing in the 12 and under nationals in Little Rock, Arkansas, whoa, and whoa, then... Whoa, whoa. Next thing you knew. Yeah. But, I mean, what's that time span? A year or two years? Like three years. That's amazing. Yeah. Wait, I want to, more importantly, I want to know what happened once you started playing, and then those people that were making fun of you, what you did to them. Did you play <laughs> them, and did you beat them? Because I look for the minutiae little comic stories, like... <laughs> Basically, how did you pay them back? Yeah. Uh, well, do you they, remember? They went into saw they went into swimming and horseback riding. <laughs> <laughs> they quickly got yeah. out of tennis, yeah. and then um, I, you know, I, I stuck with tennis. I think I just, you know, I, I liked the game. I did, I, I did play high school basketball as well because mm-hmm. my dad always had me playing basketball. Well, it's in the family. And, yeah. So I was just. Um, you know, into sports and loved, you know, hitting the ball. And um, and then, you know, as a kid, you'd look at, at the map and you'd say, oh, my gosh, we get to go to Arkansas or we get to go to Toronto. And my mom would get in her woody wagon and drive us and we'd go. And it was like an adventure to go yeah, do all this a stuff. woody wagon. I know exactly what it's that the is. the best. Those are the best. Wasn't yeah. that the Brady Bunch car? Yeah, they had the big yeah. little wood panels yeah. on the side. And three seats. My yeah. brother had the car back. Yeah. I was in the middle, and yeah. we had a whole system. And, you know, it was so just... it was like a whole family adventure. Yeah, years. and then, you know, if I got to the finals, the deal was, you know, my dad says, okay, you get to the finals, I'll fly in. So I love my father. He was, you know, my, my sports hero. And so I always wanted to do my best and get to the finals, so my dad would fly in, and then wow. he'd drive home with us. Wow, wow, wow. So... A very big part of your story, and we're going to get to some of that a little later, but a very big part of your story is your experience in sort of the, the junior tennis machine. Because at some point, and this is still true today, it's probably more true now than it was, 
when you start to show promise, you're, uh, you kind of outgrow your local club, you outgrow your local coaches, you get plucked and you get put in a real tennis machine. What, what happened to get that for you? How did you get to the Boletari, you know, universe? How did you, how did it sort of transcend from, okay, this is really good, but it's a family affair to, oh, wow, I have some real promise. And this, this is something I need to to focus on almost in a 24-7 kind of capacity. Well, I think, you know, I was really fortunate that in Charleston, West Virginia, um, the National 16 tournament was played at my club. Yeah. It was and still is the nicest tennis club in West Virginia. Yeah. And so when I was nine years old, I was a ball girl for, you know, Chris Everett and Marina Redondo and, you know, all those. So I got to see really good tennis at a young age and really look up to them and, oh, maybe I can get as good. And then, you know, I kept getting in and better and better and better. And then when I was 14, I finally got to play at my home club in the National 16s. That's cool. And Nick was there. Yeah. And at this point, he approached my parents and said, I'm going to start this little academy in Florida. And Wait, this is have... before he had started No, that? no, I was the first out-of-state student in at, Florida. At Nick Volatieri. Yeah. There were it was me and about eight locals. The De Palmers were there, Mike De Palmer's kids and yeah. um and so he So said, he recruited you. He, he recruited me and he said to my parents, you know, come down and take a visit and so we flew down and we looked and I saw that beach and that water and I'm like, Okay, I'm in, I'm in, you know. <laughs> and um so wow. then I, I lived with a family. I, I was fortunate I didn't have to live at that hotel because I wouldn't have made it. I, oh, yeah. I know I wouldn't have made it. I Why? was spoiled. Why? Because I it was tough. I mean, it was really tough. I had home-cooked meals every night. I had a really loving family that yeah. took care of me. And, you know, in the hotel, it, it was tough. Yeah. You know, there were kids, you know, two to four kids in a room. And weekends, you know, you had to do your homework. I mean, there was really um, not a lot of TLC going around. Yeah. And um, I was I, I was spoiled in, in yeah. certain ways um, from my Yeah, parents. and for people who don't know this, before Nick Voluntary built what became the Voluntary Academy and is now AMG Academy... He was running this out of a kind of rough around the edges tennis club. So this wasn't exactly a facility sort of set up to take in kids, oh, even parents, local kids. Parents in some releases. I mean, it was like the Wild West. I mean, yeah. They sent kids down there. Yeah. He got a secondhand bus. He was busting kids around. My yeah. parents gave me a light blue Chevy Monte Carlo. Yeah. I was driving kids in the car. I wow. mean, it was it yeah. was crazy, but it was, you know... A wonderful time. We all worked really hard. The pros were great. You had, you know, two or three kids to one pro, and um, they worked us hard. And you know, it was just it was a really fun time. Yeah, it sounds kind of wild. Though, too. Oh, oh, wild! Who, I mean, nobody. Who, who were the who were some of the people that were there? Like in pivotal times, like one or two years that you were like, God, thank God they were here, or God, I hate them, or you know, like <laughs> which ones, you know, players do you remember? Because. We all grew up in sort of academy-like atmosphere. Well, not everybody, but some of us have. And so there's certain people that were always pushing you or pushing your buttons or thank God they were there. Like, do you remember well, one or two? Well, I mean, I started um, sophomore uh, second semester of my sophomore year, and then a couple months later, Jimmy Arias came down. Mm-hmm. Wow. So then Jimmy moved into Nick's house. Yeah. And then shortly after that, um, Paul Anacone came down. Amazing. And so yeah. Paul was there. Pablo Araya was there. Who was who was a lot of fun and yeah. didn't speak a lot of English at the time, and he was a character. And then Kathleen Horvath came down. Yeah. Um, then Pam Casal came down. Um, and then when I left, then I went to USC to college. And then I remember, you know, going back to Florida from time to time, and people would be, oh, it's getting big now. So and so's coming. Then Crickstein yeah. came down. Yeah. So you know, slowly more and more kids were coming. 
And, you know, back then, they, you had Port Washington in New York, which was kind of an academy. You had Hotman's, and then you had people that were land, with Landsorp out west, but you really didn't have... Yeah. I mean, you had, you know, Chris Everett's dad in Miami, and you had a, a group of kids that came out of there, but there, you know, there weren't really like it is today, where everybody has an academy and, yeah. and all that. And Nick was smart. He took all these kids that, that were from cold climates and said hey yeah come on can, down to you can practice three to four hours a day instead of three to four hours a week and yeah. sure enough like anything you put that kind of time in yeah there's going to be improvement you're going to get better and he put us all against each other yeah and created all this tension and competition and so you know you didn't every, everybody got really good who was the person you hated the most playing <laughs> yeah. i didn't hate anybody. <laughs> i didn't i didn't who was the person that you played against you were like god if i can beat her i know i'm gonna be good um You know, I, I you know there are a few people that I played in juniors that I never beat, like Tracy Austin and Pam. You know, in juniors, I'd lost in three sets to both of them, and I yeah. never quite beat them in singles. But um, you know, I, I was always setting my own standards for for really wanting to be as good as I could be, and I didn't really really dislike people. It was mm. just I wanted to. Well, you're a good diplomat. For yeah. the job you're currently doing, she's <laughs> trying to get the fights over there, <laughs> and why you're not. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about college tennis because obviously it's, it was a different time. You played at USC, getting a springboard from the NCAA level into the pro level. It's kind of happening here and there now again. But there was a time when I was growing up watching your Capriottis, your Hinguses. College wasn't even remotely on the map. But for you, that was a stepping stone. And was it an obvious one? Or did you kind of think, well, let me cool my heels here for a little bit and maybe I'll try to go pro immediately? What was your thinking well, about that? Oddly enough, my parents and Nick had, um, they set up all night and they had, a, they had a huge argument. Really? All night. And Nick was insistent that I turn pro. He didn't want me to go to college. And my parents put their foot down and said, you know, we want her to go to school. Yeah. And I'm so glad I did because... It is brutal out there, yeah. and I made some of the best friends of my life to this day yeah. at, at USC. I joined a sorority. I had fun, and you know, freshman year we were undefeated and national champs, and um, yeah. and I got to grow up a little bit. I mean, yeah. I'd led a, a sheltered life and traveled and all that, but I mean, you know how it is, Renee. I mean, you're not you're not making a ton of decisions for yourself and learning about the real real world out there. And you yeah. know, I went out to Los Angeles. I mean, now I say to my parents, I'm like, oh my god, you sent me the Knicks. You sent me to SC, which is in the worst What part were you of trying LA. to tell me? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, what were you all thinking? They're like, well, you wanted to go. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. totally. They're probably like, but, you're um, fine. You turned out just fine. Yeah, well, totally. So. Totally. But did you feel like you gained friendship, experience? Did your tennis game improve? Because I would imagine that was probably Nick's counterpoint, right? You're going to maybe yeah, stall well, out I, and not get the, the next level exposure. I was, was playing that? some pro tournaments, and, you know, my ranking was, I, I don't even remember, I was still an amateur, and I was having fun. I mean, yeah. I, I I never really thought, oh, I want to be a pro tennis player. I always just sort of, oh my gosh, I maybe I can get a college scholarship. Wow, I can get to California. I mean, yeah. I was like, my whole thing was, I don't want to be cold. I want to go where it's warm. You know, it's <laughs> Florida or California. And um, so... Then when I started playing some pro tournaments, like my freshman and sophomore year in college, all of a sudden I'm 35 in the world on the yeah. pro circuit, and wow. I'm still in college, and then IMG was calling and all that, and then it was like, wow, maybe I am going to go to Wimbledon. You yeah. know, this is going to happen, but, you know, for me, it seemed so far away yeah. and so, like, you know. Outside the realm of conception. 
Yeah, like you know, it yeah. Just, I think some people don't realise it. There are some players that certainly, you know, for, at the age of five, they're getting told they're going to win Wimbledon, and some of them actually do believe that, and actually that happens. You know, you talk mm-hmm. about Serena saying she wanted to be number one in the world, and this is when she was like ten. And I mean, there are people that really set their sights on that is it. But the, I would say the majority of players, their aspirations are to play at Wimbledon or at a French Open or at a Grand Slam, and then there's thinking how well can I do and then if it actually does happen where you win a slam and singles or doubles you're just like holy shit I can't believe this actually happened to me right. and not like I can't believe it like I'm not good enough like wow I cannot believe if I look back to 20 years ago yeah. when I was 10 and you said you're definitely going to win I, I know for a fact you'd be like really? Yeah. like it's so you can't conceptualise that as a kid you know? no. so, well, but some do and some manifest it and they are incredible and yeah. I, I just think I but was more realistic that, you know, I knew that well, you're was my in, you're, you're normal. That's well, a normal reaction. I don't know how normal, but... but that's a normal reaction. Yeah, and also, um, I also didn't train as... I could have trained hard. I was gifted, you know, I was a good athlete because of the hand-eye thing, and um, and I just... And I didn't want to sacrifice everything in my life. I really... I just saw yeah. what it took and what those... And I just thought, that's not me. You know, I, I want to do other things, too. You want to have interests. Yeah, and I just, you know... So, so... Flash forward, we're at you're on the tour. You got those calls from IMG. You got the calls from the agents. You are 35 in the world, but still playing NCAA tennis. Was there a moment where you sort of said, "Okay, now I got to dive in. Now I got to plunge in. Yeah. I owe it to myself to just see what this is." Is that was that how it felt? Yeah, well, it was just it... like this is you know this is you know you're up. And this is this is this is the time because yeah. um, I seen other players that had stayed in school and and not taken that that chance mm-hmm. and then their ranking dropped and then they finished school and then you realize it's like look I, I gotta catch that train if I yeah. don't catch that train I'm well, not gonna it's... get to where I need to go and so um, you know that's that was the decision I made and yeah. um, didn't start out well at all I no. mean you know, once I got out there it was like whoa you know this is for real now this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of the Racket Magazine podcast is brought to you by Sergio Tacchini, revitalizing and disrupting the status quo since 1966. Follow them on Instagram at SergioTacchini underscore official and go to SergioTacchini.com for more. Enter the promo code RACKETMAG at checkout and you'll get 30% off your order. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh, 
<laughs> so, um, how, you know, how long did it take you to get your footing under you? <laughs> years, several yeah. years, you know, yeah. to really understand, you know, you know, how you pick your tournaments, you know, how you travel, and um, what surfaces, I mean, you know, there's a lot, a lot you know, it's a whole science to, yeah, to figure is. out how, yeah, to, how just, to peak when you need to... It's just not, it's not just hitting balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And did you feel like, I mean, obviously we have to talk about the bodysuit. Uh, it's a bold, ballsy thing. Can How much can you tell us about it? How, what... You, there is an iconic image that will accompany this podcast episode. Let's talk about Anne White, bodysuit, Wimbledon. As much as you want to say, get us get us the full picture. All right. Well, um, I was um, dating uh, Ian Hamilton, who was the head, the global marketing head of Nike, and he gave me these panel tights. I have on tights right now because I, I love them. I'm 5'11 and tall and they keep my legs warm. And um, he gave me these tights. It was... Um, 1985, and they kept my legs warm, and so it was a joke one day to him, I said, can you imagine a white bodysuit at Wimbledon, wouldn't that be funny, <laughs> and... It was your idea! Yeah, he said, oh yeah, that would be great, we, you know, everybody would go nuts there, they would hate that, that yeah. would just be, you know, so, um, I didn't really think anything of it, and then um, we went to the French Open, and we met a guy named Carlo Grippa, who was the head of Nike Italy, and uh, he's a real character. He'd been in, a, um, in the Olympics for um, track and field himself, so he was an athlete. And and I really explained, because the, Ian had given me the tights during the winter circuit. When it was cold, we were playing in, like, Chicago and Boston and places like yeah, that. Yeah. You're tall. You know exactly hey. what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, um, and, I re- and I really liked how they made my legs feel warmer and, and, and per- possibly prevent injury and all that. Sure, and, and circulation. So anyhow... Um, Carlos said, I'll get it made, I'll get it made, and, um, oh, I, I take that back, I, I, I jumped forward a little bit. Um, Ian went, to, I was in a contract with Pony, so before we met Carlo, he went to, to Nike to tell them, you know, my great idea, so I thought, and um, <laughs> you want to buy her contract out, yeah. and they just kind of laughed and said, no, no yeah. thanks, and then, um, so then we went to the French Open, met Carlo, and then he was, you know, contraband, I'll get it made, I'll get it made, da 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 da, da. and so he... Got it made, and then sent it over. He says, "I'll send it to your flat in in London." Blah 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 blah. Well, it rained the first three days. I was playing Shriver the first round, and we were scheduled the first day. And then it it didn't show up till Thursday morning. I didn't play till Thursday. Wow! Oh my so, god! It was oh destiny. Yeah. Destiny. And, so it shows up um, in your room, and you're like, "Well, I guess I gotta go." Yeah, out it came. It came. And then, um, <laughs> what was were, the first thought though when it did come, and you hadn't played the first round? Were you like? Well, well, by this, yeah, totally. well, you were like, fuck, I've really got to do this now. And now like, I'm in, yeah. Well, when I put one suit on, I was definitely not going to do it because it was so sheer. I was like, I can't do it. He sent two. Think He had made two. Uh. And one was sleeveless, and then the other one was long sleeve, and there was no way I could wear just one. So I had two suits on. You wore two simultaneous bodysuits? Yeah. No, so it yeah. was actually two <laughs> suits. Yeah. It was a double suit. How great would it have been if you'd gotten hot and you just stripped off one? They think you're going naked. And yeah. they're like, well, well, calm down, All England Club. We've got another one underneath. Yeah. Controversial. They would have put you on the wall or yeah. banned you from the tournament forever. Either way. So then um, um, a, a dear friend of mine were was they, saying okay, with me. Wait, wait, wait. Were, were they hot? It, it, were the two on? No, because it was cooler yeah, there. Well, we didn't always, start till seven o'clock at night. It's always often cold at Wimbledon. At yeah, night and then you know we because it stays light late. We yeah, didn't yeah. start till like seven. Yeah, and so it was freezing. And it doesn't take much for you know I don't like being cold at all. You know, yeah. 
52 was cold. So you didn't feel so. impeded. You felt no, 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 no. You weren't self-conscious. I mean, it's a well. Uh, yes, wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> so, so you put the two suits on in your in your room, and you're like, all right. No, okay. no, I changed in the shower. At, at the in the at Wimbledon. Yeah, in the middle locker room, and I had Robin White and Mary Lou Daniels, two of my frequent yeah, yeah. doubles partners. Yeah. They were on the in, they were on, on the, the lookout. Yeah, they, they were, were on, on the lookout. lookout. So I was in the shower and. <laughs> They were laughing. They were like, oh, you've done it now, man. Way to go. Yeah. You know, wait, so. wait. So you get changed in the shower. Yeah. Then I put a tracksuit on. You put a tracksuit on. Yeah. on over the top. Pants as well. Oh, yeah. And so just, you got pants and a top on, so yeah. nobody knows what's and underneath nobody, that. And Ian walked me to the court, so once I got out of the locker room, he saw that I got to the court, and nobody really knew. And so then, here we are, you're like slowly unzipping No, no, then we warmed up. You didn't, the, you didn't, you no. warmed up in your suit. Okay. I warmed up in the tracksuit. Then, at that point, I thought... My heart might explode. I'm like, I've really done it. I'm going to have a heart attack and die right now. Because my heart was like beating out my And what, chest. you're playing Pam? Yeah. Oh, this is even better. Yeah. And Pam, Pam uh, you know, Pam and I go way back to juniors. And, oh, so, know, okay. So she, right. she was not thrilled that so, anyhow, Detail. So then, so then the, um, the umpire said, uh, prepare to play. And so I went over and I took off the suit. And then literally this guy, uh, he turned purple. And I thought we were going to paddles out to revive him <laughs> and me with the heart attack. Wait, were there like audible gas? Well, people, people were, were like, ooh, you know, ooh, ooh. oh yeah, you, that's no, nobody audible, audible gas right, around, right. and they just go, ooh, ooh, yeah. ooh. And ooh. then she served the first game, and I shanked. The wait, 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 wait! Before she started though, because this is my. Fa- so you take the suit off and you walk back, and does she say anything? Does Pam go she what just, the f? Just like gave me a look like. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, um, Two big chicks out there too. Yeah, those are that's six a, feet. Just six bring it feet, out. totally slugfest. Okay, so wait. You, so she looks at you. She walks back to serve, and you're like, "Oh, fuck, yeah, here we go." And Mary Lou and, and Robin are laughing. I can see them yeah. over in the stands, <laughs> laughing so hard, you know. And I'm just, oh my god. So, um, anyhow, then um, she serves the first game, and I'm I shank balls. I mean, I just yeah. I, I can barely hit the ball. Yeah, I was so nervous. And then I. What well, court? I, do you remember? It was court two. And then um, the rule is once you play one point, they can't make you change clothes. Oh. Which I found out. Wow. I can't believe they didn't get out there sooner. Yeah. So then I lost the first set bad. I didn't play well the first set. And then the second set, I came back, was down two match points, and I came back in a tiebreaker 7-6. And oh, I sure. was on so fire. Yeah. I was playing so well. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I look up, and we're losing the light. Oh, I mean, no. it's, it's down. And I'm like, dang. And Alan Mills walks up, and uh, he talks to the umpire, and he said, uh, match is being called due to darkness. Uh, we'll resume tomorrow morning, 11 o'clock. And then he says to me, and he says, we need to have to take a little walk to the office. And I was like, <laughs> it's like you're oh, going to the principal's boy, here office. we go. I'm going to be kicked out of Wimbledon. I'm going to be fined. I'm yeah. in serious trouble. No, and, I love Alan, too. He's the best. Yeah, and he was very nice, and we walked, and then he said... We have to ask you not to wear that again. That it's not suitable attire in the All England Club. And I told him, you know, a fashion function, and you know, all you know, my uh, my whole uh, spiel for selling the bodysuit. And uh, he's at the end. He said, "You understand?" And I said, "Yes, I do." So that, <laughs> so the next day, then we it was even cooler. The next morning, we played, and yeah. I lost six three in the third, and just in a skirt and a top. So, Blame it on Alan. Alan, yeah. you could have you were on Alan. the roll there, and also yeah. the late roll. Yeah. Alan, you, yeah, the light you killed you. Played two glorious sets, well, one glorious set, yeah. and two technical <laughs> sets in a in an outfit that hadn't been seen until three years ago at the French Open, which also caused controversy. 
So it's just meant to be. We'll have to bring it back somehow. Okay. Somewhat right. limited edition. It's time. It's time. Capsule collection. Yeah, I think some, I think the racket. Um, racket. I think we'll come up with something pretty collab. amazing. You know, no pressure, but okay. I think like, we're gonna have a business chat after this. We, time to, time we need to, to have, another racket. We need know? to have people uh, tweet us, write us, and let us know. Yeah. Would you buy? Would you wants. buy the the bodysuit? Let's let us know. We'll we'll put some into production. Mm. So I want to fast forward a little bit because you had. An incredible career. You played. Wait a second. Wait, but before this, okay. After this, I mean, it was controversial, and it was a huge story. I mean, everybody heard about it. It was like big deal. If you bring this up, like to anyone, they go, "Oh, the white bodysuit, right?" Mm -hmm. I mean, anyone who knows anything about tennis. What was it like, like after the match, and because you know, obviously it's not social media. Can you imagine now, guys? Oh. <laughs> Holy shit! Like it'd be a meme, you know, yeah, or a gif, yeah, a gif. Maybe are Maybe you are. You, could, right you probably are. Oh, um, but like, did you feel like it? It changed anything about you? Like, yeah, it did, it actually did because I had been, gotten a little complacent, and um, it made me train harder. And I was like, you know what, to get into the you know, I, because I, I thought, wow, you know, my obituary's already been written now. I better do something else. <laughs> um, and, 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 and I just, you know, I wanted to, you know, have a little stronger career and, and, and play a little better. And I thought, um, because you, know, you were I more wanted, noticed. Well, a yeah. Bit and I, and also I didn't want to just be the girl that wore the white, white suit. suit. I mean, I, I had a pretty good junior career and good collegiate career and. Then I, you know, I was in the 60s and I wanted to, you know, I thought realistically I can get in the top 20. I mean, I thought I can get in the top 20. Yeah. And I did. I got to 19 and I wanted to win a tournament in singles. And I said, you know, everyone said, oh, you're, you're a doubles player. You'll never win a tournament yeah. in singles. And I'm like, you watch. And so I started <laughs> training with John Lloyd a little bit. Yeah. And working out with his trainer and running the perimeter UCLA and really pushing myself hard, which I hadn't done. And six weeks later, I won a tournament singles. So six that was weeks. A, yeah, that yeah. was a year that last year that I played. You know, when do eight. you regret that? Like looking back on it, like there's certain things about my career, certainly in singles, that I do regret. One of them was not working harder when I was younger. Yeah, I worked very hard, but it took. And I'm talking like 24, 25 is when I really started to push myself a lot in mm-hmm. singles. But prior to that, I relied on my talent, and I was kind of having too much fun and. People, I wanted people to like me and I was just whatever you know as opposed to but I was always a good doubles player but singles I do regret that about my career you know do you regret it a little bit looking back on it um, you know I, I my game was limited you know I had, I had a weak backhand you know I mean I, I started out with a two-hander growing up then I went to a one-hander I went back to the no, two-hander like and just like me and all my Wimbledon you know, I have a good I have a good, a good yeah. drop shot and um, yeah. so I had a weakness in my game and um you know, I I was I really wanted to win a tournament, and then I also saw what happens when you you you're past your prime, mm. and then people are playing qualifying, and I never mm. played qualifying at Wimbledon, or yeah. and I I didn't want to be that person. Mm. You know, that was not yeah. the way I wanted to go out, and so I felt pretty darn good that you know I got to top twenty, and um, yeah. the, the only regret that I really really have is. Wimbledon, um, I think it was 84, and I had gotten to the finals of the uh, Birmingham tournament and lost mm-hmm. to Pam. And then I first round, I had two match points against a qualifier, mm. a Swedish girl in Carlson or something like that, mm-hmm. and I lost. Mm. And she went on to the quarters. And that was my opportunity yeah. where I really, on grass, yeah. was I was a 
strong player, and I could have you yeah. know gotten to the quarters because I didn't get in the final eight there. I'm in the final eight club in French in the U.S. Open, yeah. but only got to the quarters right. at Wimbledon. So yeah. that that I'm kind of bummed about. But other than that, I mean, I'm I'm just grateful. I I look back on it now, and I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe I did all that. You mm-hmm. know, so especially because you make such a concerted effort to do okay with the goals, especially top twenty, win a singles tournament. I mean, that's what's always remarkable to me. It's just. You know, how much could we do when we just decide? I read about these women who marathon, who are sort of amateur marathoners. Like, I'm going to qualify. One of them just qualified for the Olympics just because you don't think it's in your conception and your ability to do that. And then all of a sudden when it becomes something that is a goal, you're, you're amazed how much your body responds. Uh, shifting a little bit, when we first met, and you were gracious enough to have me at the club, and I want to get to that in a minute, and your game is you hit me up the court, obviously. Um you walked away from the game for a time. You had a moment where you didn't have, uh, you, you sort of needed to put the rackets down, business. What, what was it that sort of your, your time away kind of gave to you and, and what brought you back? Um, I just didn't, I was just tired of traveling. I sure. just didn't want to do it anymore. I mean, I just I felt like I didn't know the difference between a Wednesday and a Saturday, and I got as good as I was going to get. Yeah. I mean, I realized that, I wasn't going to get any better, and yeah. I didn't want to be that person, as I said earlier. So, um, and then I had a, other interests. So, you know, I worked for Ralph Lauren in New York and L.A., and then um, got in the watch business, and I love timepieces and antique cameras and that sort of thing. So I worked for Cartier and Jaeger LeCulture in the wholesale watch business. How did you get into the, all of that? No. Um, yeah. I was called by Headhunter for something else, and then they said, well, what would you like to do? And I said, well, I like watches, and... They said, "Oh, well, the Cartier person is coming," and so oh, wow. one thing led to another. And um, is that from your connections with tennis, or is that business? No, it was through tennis. It was just through a headhunter. They wanted me for some suntan, working for suntan lotion or whatever. But so. they, did they know you because you were a former tennis player? No, no not at all. As is someone they just called out of the blue because That's amazing. I, yeah. So I, you know, I'd, I'd gone to work, like I said, for Ralph Lauren in New York and L.A., and then ended up um, working for um, Cartier and. Um, Diego La Cultura, and then I traveled 150. Then I was flying. You were traveling more. 150,000 miles a year. Wow. Working for Diego La Cultura for 10 years, and yeah. I hit the wall. I just I hit the wall, and I was like, because of tennis and this, I felt like a gypsy. I'm like, you know what? I, I, you know, this isn't up. And I and I, I just didn't want to be at the airport anymore. And, sure. Um, yeah. So I took time off and did some other things, and then. Um, was my parents have a home in Florida on Lombard Key because they bought a home years ago because I was down there for my tennis and it was right across from the colony and um, that's the beach I walk and um, I had lunch with Nick because he came to my dad's 75th birthday and we stayed in touch obviously all these years and then I went to saw the IMG Academy and we had lunch and I said you know holy shit Nick I said somebody needs to do a movie on you I said let me let me let me go back to L.A. and see what I could do. Yeah. So one of my dear friends is Jill Mazursky, who's done a bunch of films, and I spoke to her about Nick, and she said, great, let's see what we can do, let's see what we can do. And then um, one thing led to another, and we found a great director, and um, we're able to pull this together, and, and we are shut down twice, mm-hmm. um, which film almost didn't happen. Yeah. And then um, spent three and a half years really, and, and I was very passionate about it because of my time that I spent with Nick and I see what's happened today and also because I feel strongly that American tennis except for the Williams sisters 
it was in its heyday with when Nick. It's true. When Nick yeah. had all the players there, and it yeah. was kooky as all get out. Yeah. But he created that drive and that passion and that intensity, and there's never... almost too many academies now. Oh, for sure. And and there's something about Nick that is so unique that um, it will never happen again. I yeah. mean, it was like that perfect just storm, the perfect recipe of everything coming yeah. together mm-hmm. uh, at the right time. And I wanted to get that story out yeah. and really tell how the how this all came together and what all he did. And um, so I put the movie together, and then we happened to have all our meetings at the Beverly Hills Tennis Club. And then um, the president of the club is my ear, nose, and throat doctor. And <laughs> <That's> <laughs> he said, uh, oh, Russell's leaving. Russell since had been the pro for 17 years. And said, Russell's leaving. Would you, what do you think? And I said, well, shoot, I've been hanging around Nick for three and a half years. I mean, let me see. So I, I never, ever thought I would be doing what I'm doing now. And I've never had so much fun. I mean, yeah. I work with so many great kids. And it's just a blast. And the club is just a you know, it was started by Groucho Marx and Charlie Chaplin 90 yeah. years ago because they didn't let them in L.A. tennis club, so they started their own club. Yeah, it's a great and, club. It's, it's a great, and it's, club. it's a cute little throwback club yeah. and wonderful people. And, um, you know, hopefully I'm helping some people with their tennis games. And <laughs> and uh, I take these kids. I've had two matches this past weekend with the kids' team. They're like, you know, nice. between 9 and 11. And yeah. uh, they'll come off the court, hey, I got a bagel in, I got a bagel. And, nice. you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And keeps me fairly fit and um fairly so. i should say well let me ask you one more question about love means zero which is amazing if anybody hasn't seen it who's listening to this nominated for an emmy you had accolade after accolade you got shut down you almost didn't happen this basically as far as i can understand it came together because literally your force of will <laughs> what for people like us who know some of the story about nick i trained at ball terry for a little bit when i was a junior for those of us in the world, it captured something really amazing about that time. But what I love about it is it talks to everybody. And what do you think the response and the accolades it's gotten from people who haven't spent a lot of time in our world means? You know, what 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 is what does that feel like, and and how did that kind of take form? Well, I know Nick. You know Nick's a character, and um, he said people stop him all the time now and say, "Nick, we loved your movie. You loved your movie." Um, cool. You know, I I think he was. Um, very honest and authentic, mm-hmm. and it was it was difficult some of the stuff that he went through. Um, but he got to really speak his um, mind, and um, and and he was confronted with some some bad choices that he made, you know. And um, did he seem to understand that? Yeah, I think he did. And I Nick understands. Nick understands. Nick understands. Yeah. yeah. No, I no. He, I think he did. I mean, at the end, you know, when, when he he tears up a little bit about what what happened with Andre, and um, you know, it, it's. But you know, as as you know, the coach player relationship yeah. is walking the tight wire, yeah. and at any moment, yeah, it, you can get yanked either way, yeah. and it's a tough dance, and I think. Um, Nick never charged me a penny. Wow! For two and a half years, my parents paid to live with the family, but Nick never charged me. Yeah. Um, I was one of many, many, many students, great students that he had. Um, during the course of the film, going to dinner parties or talking to various people all across the country, there wasn't anyone that I that I didn't encounter that hadn't had their child go to voluntary. Do you think that was somebody... a mistake, though? Like looking back on it for him as a business, obviously as a business proposition he, that's he made his mistakes based on idealism 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Not 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 sin- on non-cynicism. practicality. Yeah. Of oh, for sure. The I mean, Nick was a great motivator, coach, terrible businessman. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if, if if he could go back fifty years, you know, forty years, and say, "All right, this is how we're going to do this again." Well, yeah, absolutely. You're, go- you're going to you're going to run the tennis, but you need someone to run your business. But yeah, he was a pioneer. You know, yeah. he, oh, was, there's he no was question. one of the one of the first to do that. Yeah, there and probably I think, wasn't even a business model. Yeah, and so I think also, you know, Nick has no rearview mirror. I mean, I think he does yeah. a little bit now, but he really didn't then. It was yeah. just on to the next player, and that's who he was. On to the next, and on to the next, and and yet there's this huge heart that wants to help mm. every kid, and mm-hmm. oh, let me help you. Let me, and he just didn't think it through. You know, yeah. clearly. That's what I mean. But um, but yet. At the end of the day, as a coach and a teacher, there's a unique bond that all of us have that that went to Nick's that yeah. you know knew that it was a kooky kooky thing, yeah. but yet it was like very magical. I mean, you know, yeah. it, like it, are you and Jimmy Arias? Like, do you? Yeah, I like, see Jimmy. You guys you talk know, like we, you have a probably very intense bond because of this, right? Oh yeah, like all of us that were there. This. There anybody that went to Nick's? I mean, yeah. we just kind of go, oh my gosh, you know, we we there was a lot. I mean, even like Ann Grossman, who's here coaching, you yeah. know. Um, you know, she went there with during Andre's time and those guys, and they were like 14 and yeah. 13 years of age. And, and here comes Becker. Like, and then Oh, Boris was in there. No, just yeah. all of the players that came through. I mean, that's the one thing about now is that I think there are too many um, academies because you, you dilute, yeah. right? Whereas Nick, everyone went there. Yeah. So everyone's pushing themselves. So yeah. one of the things that Nick had to decide was who's he going to choose, you know? And that yeah. became... His downfall in a lot of ways. You yeah, know? that's a good point. Um, yeah, you know there was so many. Because he I, had to play favorites. Kind yeah, of, I but... mean I love Nick to death. I mean, you know, anytime he walks by me, he says, "Hey, coach." <laughs> you know, he just has a passion that is unmistakable. Yeah. But I think that looking back on it, boy, if he just had someone organizing this better, it could have yeah. been so much. I mean, better Nick was for like him. the circus that came to town. Yeah. You know, yeah, it I was know. just this. Totally. Oh, Nick's doing this. Oh my God, boy, he just did that. Yeah, and yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it was just yeah. and. Like I said, Paris instant releases. I mean, it was yeah. just yeah. A, a crazy time, and that's why I felt that it needed to be um, explained and documented because it gave birth now to you know the IMG Academy, yeah. which is a whole different thing. Yeah. A level I mean, of professionalization, and you know. I would have lasted about two hours there. I'm yeah. not so sure that 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 would have been the right environment for me. Yeah. And I think you know you look at, and this is just my little opinion here, but. Landstorf or Segura or um, Hopman and these kooky guys, um, the kids, there's something magical that happens yeah. that gets these kids yeah. it's, I, motivated I, I, and you get these cookie cutter places yeah, and not it's not factory. the same experience. I, I'll tell you what it is. It's passion. Yeah. Period. That's it. It's a passion for teaching. Nick was a terrible businessman, but he loved to help kids and he loved to make them better tennis players. Yeah. And he had that Italian passion that was just like never ending. And that's, you know, Landstorp. You, look, you talk about all those great coaches. Well, you know, I mean, Landstorp, Landstorp had great technique. I mean, yeah. I, I think, you know, Nick but, wasn't, but he, wasn't but he known for the passion the... of that technique. Yeah, yeah, true. It's like nonstop. That's how you're going to hit yeah. it. That's how you're going to hit it. That's how you're gonna... That was his vision, you know, nonstop. I mean, you know, the, I think that's the most important thing with coaching. And you know, people always ask me, well, what do I tell my kid? And I'm like, find a passionate coach. It's yeah. the most important thing you can teach your young children. Yeah. Because they have to be instilled with that passion. And I think Nick gave that to people. I mean, you can attest to this more than I can. Yeah, but it's like w- waking up and going, if I can't have the same passion as Nick, then yeah. I might as well just leave. 
Yeah. Right. I mean. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you, you know, I mean, I have to say, I'm very passionate. You know, I work with a kids team. Yeah. And, you know, we're at the beginning of the season. I say, okay, you know, what's our goal? You want to play on your high school team or your junior high team? You know, we smart start with the small goals, but you know, they show up to practice all the time. They yeah. have their uniform. They're out there playing, and yeah. you know, I mean, but you're it's, making my point for me. Yeah. No, I am trying to make your point that it's just like you know, you 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 can't you know do things. You know, there's no B team. There's no junior varsity. You know, you go, you're all in 100. Yeah. percent And I think for any of us that have played at that level, you know, that's what it takes. You know, yeah. and, you, and you don't just because you stop doing that, you have to find a place for that in your life, whether it's you know, teaching or um, playing with Super 8 cameras yeah. or you know whatever or making you've got to, you've got to find. Yeah, you've got to find. And that's sort of one of the keys to, to having a fulfilling life, I think. Um, I mean, that's a good you've place got the to magazine. end it. Yeah, you've got a child. And, you know. I know, no. I mean, uh, for me, it's about convening community around this sport that I love to make them love it as much as I do so we can widen the tent and make the sport healthy because I want people to feel and understand how cool it is. Um, last question for you. We're, we, we're going to test out the idea. Listeners, let us know. And White Body Suit Redux 2020-21 another film a tv show what do you think what's next for you in terms um, of that I, world? i've got a couple ideas i'm working on but nothing okay um, you know that the the film was three and a half years and and a huge chunk of my childhood and um you know a completely passionate project and yeah. um so thrilled with with what happened but um, you know, I'm I'm all in the club now. I'm loving club life. It's full circle. I'm back to uh, yeah. we don't quite have the candy snack bar that that we used to have at the Charleston Tennis Club. But, sure um, yeah, but we've eaten there. The food is fantastic. Yeah. yeah well, thank food. you, thank yeah, you. They have, have they have great ice, ice lattes. Yeah, we've, so. we've eaten there. Yeah, it's good. But um, no, I'm having having fun at the club, and you know, I've got a couple little projects that I'm working on and doing my super eight little videos for fun. And, and White, thank you so much for being so on fun. our show. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for coming by. I love those stories. And that's it for this episode of the Racket Magazine podcast. Thanks for listening. Our host is Renee Stubbs. Our co-host and producer is me, Caitlin Thompson. Music by internationally renowned DJ Stretch Armstrong. Thanks to Tim Rogerian and the team at Acast. Find us at racketmag.com slash podcast and subscribe to us at any of your favorite podcatchers. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.